0: This job is not a nine to five job, especially when you're a brand new recruiter. I feel like you have to plan, plan, plan. The foundation is making those phone calls. And at the end of the day, when you feel like I am done, make five more.
1: Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby. And my very special guest today is Jennifer Poloni. Jennifer's the owner of Cascadia Search Group, and she started her career as a sales rep and then sales manager in pharma. After having kids, she decided to join her husband's recruiting agency, which was at the time part of management recruiters. She was a pace setter with that organization for 18 out of 20 years. Jennifer welcome.
0: Thank you Mark. I'm glad to be here.
1: Jennifer I've had about 10 Pinnacle Society members on the show. You were referred to me by Tyler Frisbee, a fantastic guy. How do you know Tyler?
0: Tyler and I came into Pinnacle together. We're we're very new Pinnacle members. We've been there for about 18 months so we were brought in together. and It was really a lot of fun to get to know him.
1: Yeah, he's such a fantastic guy with an amazing story. Um, I'll include a link for listeners to Tyler's episode in the, in the show notes. But look, tell me your story. Why did you leave a successful recruit in the pharmaceutical industry to get into recruiting?
0: Um, great question. I um, was a pharmaceutical sales manager and I had to travel a lot because we had POA meetings and then we had meetings to prepare for the meetings with the sales reps and my children were quite small at the time. And so my husband had tried to get me to join his firm for a long time. And I, at that time, I just said, you know what, it's time. And so I was just getting to a point where I didn't want to get on a plane because I was afraid that I wouldn't come back. You know, with little kids, you just, your mind goes crazy. So it was a really good time for me to try recruiting. And I I felt like I couldn't fail because... Um, I was gonna go into pharmaceuticals, which I knew really, really well. And I had a lot of contacts. So that's how it happened.
1: Fantastic. What sort of ages were your kids when you took the plunge into recording? Yeah, they
0: were really small. Um, They were two and five.
1: Oh, fantastic. Yeah, Yeah, the travel is not fun when you've got a young family. I made a similar shift we, I have three, three kids who are, they're a bit older now. So, um, how old are they? 16, 13 and 11. Uh But when they were really small, I was traveling a lot. It was so so hard on my wife because she, you know, trying to look after two or three kids on your own. And, uh, I was away for, for a few days. Cause I used to do a lot of in-house training where I'd go and work with larger recruiting firms and train their, their managers and their, and their salespeople. And, um, and I enjoy, like, I enjoyed, the actual work, but the travel and staying in hotels, that was not fun at all. So, um, I don't think I, that was sustainable for me. So now it's like 95% virtual, even before the the pandemic, I was doing mostly this kind of stuff. That's great. Zoom. Yeah. And they um, say that
0: once you go to three kids, it like, it doesn't triple, it quadruples, you know, it's like <laughs> two, you have one-on-one, but right. with three, it's crazy. <clears throat>
1: it is. Is for sure I can attest to that, so um, now you have uh, you sent a note to me with a really interesting accomplishment of having built a sales force of one hundred and nine people in five months with with only your small team of three people. Could you tell me a little bit about that project and and how you pulled that off?
0: yeah, I'd love to tell you the story. Um, So we go to a meeting. It's an oncology meeting called ASCO every year. And this meeting is where 40,000 people get together. There's doctors and all the pharmaceutical companies get there. And there was a guy that I met. He was looking for a job. And I remember it. I came from the conference center. My hair was all wet. It was raining. The wind was blowing. It was Chicago, you know, okay. in, in June. In the city. Yeah. And I said, oh, gosh, I just don't want to go to this meeting. But I, you know, got my big girl boots on and went to the meeting. And we sat down and had a few drinks and got him into some processes. And then one day he called me and he said, hey, I uh, got another job with Puma. And I go, Puma? And that's a shoe company. And he goes, no, it's a biotech. And then the next thing I know, um, he says, I'm not going on your interviews. I go, you know, that's fine. And then he decided to hire us to do the um, whole process. So that connection, even though he didn't take the jobs I had him into, he decided to go with us to build that sales force.
1: So let let me just um, back up a second. So you attended a you met this guy at an industry event for for oncology.
0: That's correct.
1: Okay, but originally he w- he came to you wearing his candidate hat. He was interested in maybe finding another opportunity.
0: That's correct. Yeah, he had. Okay. He he was one of those top talents that when he yeah. got into the process, he had four companies looking at him and I had him in two processes and he Mm -hmm. said I'm positive I'm not going to take your your jobs and I said I'm going to pull you then and he goes no no I don't want you to look bad I go no we're both going to look bad if you fly to these interviews and you don't take these jobs Mm -hmm. and so I pulled him out of the process which I think he was relieved because his mind was already set on this new job. And then a couple months later, he called me and said, hey, I've got to build a sales force and I've got to do this in four months. And can you guys help us? And we were like, "Amazing, we did it.
1: Do you know, it's so interesting because it's an underappreciated client development method is to just give such an ex- exceptional service to your candidates that they when they're hiring, they come back to you. What was it about? the way that you worked with this individual that made him prefer um, Cascadia group versus that maybe the headhunter actually placed him in the job?
0: That's a great question. I think he didn't go through another recruiter for the other job. I think that was, he just networked with the chief commercial officer and got the role. I I think that's how that happened. Um, But I also think that I had to fly down and meet his uh, senior leadership so we went down there, a couple of us, and we did a presentation. So it wasn't that he handed it to us. We had to still follow up, meet with the chief commercial officer. And the funny thing was, when we got there, I thought our presentation was amazing. And he was just like firing at it, at us, you know, and I, with all cylinders. And I thought, oh, my gosh, he really doesn't want us to get this. But the HR people liked us and it all worked out in the end, but it was, I, I called him later and I said, man, you, you didn't help me at, at all with that. <laughs> and he kind of just laughed and he said, well, I didn't want them to think that, you know, you had it. I wanted you to really do your do your due diligence and do a good job.
1: Yes. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. So I still don't know if we've answered the question as to what it was I know understand he didn't just hand it to you but he he opened the door for you and you know sponsored you internally and um he must have been familiar with or have uh have had conversations with other recruiters so um you know that's definitely worth finding out it, it, you know what was it about I I like to do a um Almost a not a post-mortem, yeah, post-mortem deals that I lose. I People don't always give you feedback, but I'd like to try and ask for it to see how I can improve. Equally, when I win a new client, I, I try and ask, why did you choose us or why did you decide to go for it and find out what their thought process was there? But if you took a guess, what would you say is your approach to candidate? That's a great um, question, and I didn't that. answer
0: it. I think when it was with that, in his whole process— when he was interviewing um, with the other companies, I would pick up the you know phone when he called, and we'd talk through some of the questions maybe he thought they were going to ask and, and role play and also um, you know, talk about compensation information when he had questions. So I felt oh, like right. I was a resource to him, but believe yeah. me, he didn't need my help, but I think I might have been a sounding board to him. Um, because he is really a talented individual. And uh, if he listened to this podcast, he would say, oh my gosh, I I could do this in my sleep because he's very, very talented. But I I just think I was a good sounding board. And I personally think that's what helped.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it did. That's smart. So you then won this project, but holy cow, that's a tall order. How did you go about fulfilling and delivering on this assignment?
0: That's a really uh, good question as well. What we did was we asked him not to post any of the jobs on their website, because as you know, if you're looking for oncology, you know, people that sell in that space, Mm -hmm. everybody's going to apply to those jobs that aren't qualified to, and who's going to go through all those resumes? So we got the map of where these places were or where the reps were going to be placed. And then we divided amongst our team of four. Um, and so we didn't overlap. And then we, we spent 12 hours a day working on this project. We also not only did we we identify the top four candidates for them, then he did a lot of the interviewing himself. I think he, he interviewed. So he was one of those workaholics that definitely was a good team member Um, so he was on calls with us daily we had spreadsheets to keep track of the candidates probably the hardest part mark is we planned all the airfare for the candidates to meet so in every single territory we had to fly the candidates to the city for their face-to-face interviews And there were two people for each territory. So that is, you know, 100, I mean, 200 people that you're moving around. And so I was always worried that we'd have overlap and have somebody show up in the wrong city, the wrong time. Um, But we were able to pull it all off. So we had somebody that did all the scheduling and then we had somebody, you know, piggyback on that and just check it out and make sure that it was all, um, you know, organized and that people were where they were supposed to be.
1: Wow that sounds like quite a logistical nightmare. Um, we also yeah, exactly We
0: also had one person at each one of the um, like when they were in Chicago I would go or my partner would go and we would meet the candidates in the lobby. we'd share with them what was going to happen. we'd walk them to the room we'd debrief after the meetings and then we'd take the next candidate up. So, we were really um, embedded in the whole process.
1: Yeah, do you know? I'm so glad you mentioned that. No one does that anymore. That is, uh, you know, almost being on site, whether it's your offices or the client's offices, or in this case, it was it was in a hotel. But being there on the day of the interviews, to prep and debrief every candidate on the spot and then be able to do a wash up with the client at the end is so powerful and um we used to do that all the time and it it just increased your chances of success dramatically and cuz the feedback was all live real time you know um just gave you so much more insight and control over to what was what was going on yeah. um so I love that. Well, Coming Mark, back, the best yeah, part of this whole story okay, tell me.
0: is that after we did that with him, he had another build out with another company. And of course, he called us and we repeated the same process, much smaller scope. It was only 20 representatives and we did it in six weeks. But it was just a super fun um, project because we knew each other all so well.
1: Absolutely. Wow. 20. It's funny. If you'd had the 21st, <laughs> it probably would have seemed hard, right? Exactly. But because you'd already done 109, then it seemed like a piece of cake. You already had the processes down, Pat. Do you mind me asking, like, how much revenue does that represent? 109 placements. That's
0: a great question. Um, what we did is we bundled it as a project. And okay. so, you know, if it was a sales rep, it could range anywhere. These projects, I'll I'll say that most companies will charge anywhere from um, ten thousand to twelve thousand a head. So yep. roughly about that, I would say is right yep. the, in the ballpark.
1: Fantastic. Um, and how did you get the buy in from your team? Because I'm I'm sure they're great people, but twelve hours a day for you know for however long it took, it was a serious commitment on their part. How did you keep everyone motivated and? kind of focused on that?
0: It's a great question. Um, I have my partner that's in this with me, had two kids in college, um, one going to Berkeley, one going to UCLA. And I think her, you know, her all in was about 150,000 a year. So she was very motivated, obviously. Yeah, Yeah. And then the other two were younger, but they wanted to buy houses and they were, you know, very, uh, committed to some of the things that they wanted to purchase so they knew Mm -hmm. that the tail end would be a lot of you know financial gain but Mm -hmm. that they wouldn't have much of a how um a personal life for it really was Mm -hmm. like four months of just eating and breathing this project so if you're not willing to do that i would not take it on because you will fail miserably because it is a commitment that uh you know, I would say I'd like to do every couple of years or maybe every three years.
1: Got it. Wow. Um, I mean, to, to place 109 people, how many candidates did you process in total, including the people who you interviewed and then didn't shortlist or the people who you shortlisted and, you know, went to interview, but didn't get the, you know, offered the job and so on?
0: Well, that's what we did was when we got a resume that wasn't anywhere near qualified we'd send a letter to them saying that we'll keep your resume on file if they were a referral from somebody internally we always Mm -hmm. interviewed them because they were an internal referral Um, and then the other process was we would keep it short with people that maybe not didn't meet the qualifications for example if they had um uh I want to say, oncology, but they didn't have enough breast cancer experience, then we would move them, you know, move on. Or if they had some significant accomplishments like awards, you know, we might feel that that candidate is worth that. We had a, a checklist of about 10 things and the the individuals that had the top in all those areas, we we, we graded them and they moved mm-hmm. to uh the hiring manager. So then the hiring manager could review them. But um, I would say um, about probably five to 600 resumes we actually interviewed. Wow. Yeah, I would yes. say that. And and sales reps are great. They love to talk. So it's not sure. like, you're, yeah, you're not going to get <laughs> on the phone and be able to get off in, in 10 minutes.
1: <laughs> I hear you. Okay, that's interesting. So what we're Apart from the logistics and just the sheer amount of you know hours involved, what were some of the challenges that you had to overcome in order to pull this off? Um,
0: I think the more frustrating thing was when somebody would call you 24 hours uh, in advance of their interview and say they accepted an opportunity, so they were already out that, you know, the airfare for that candidate, and then they had a hole in there. And, you know, these people are high-level individuals that could do something with that time, and they're sitting in a room, you know, with an hour and a half of time that is being wasted. So that was probably the most frustrating thing mm-hmm. that people would do that, but they did. Um, and then I, I don't think it was hard. I just think when we knew what, what um, the hiring manager was looking for, because he was so entrenched with the process that we knew which candidates could move forward and which couldn't, because the checklist was very clear on what we wanted. So, and we, and I think the most important part too, is we wanted to make sure that the candidates, if there was a slowing in the process, for example, if the time period, because it was you know, we were trying to get them on in June, and and it went to July. We had to make sure our communication that was back to the representatives, letting them know that our process has slowed a little
1: bit. Yes. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you mentioned internal referrals. How did you handle that? Um, in term, like, because a lot of companies will have internal referral like incentives. Um, did the company pay you on an addition, pay an internal employee for that referral or?
0: Yeah, Um, great question. And they did. So we got a flat rate on everybody we placed. So that way it was, and I highly recommend this when you go on and do a project because then you're vested in bringing the top candidates, both the hiring Mm -hmm. manager the internal referrals, the HR, because everybody's in it together. So if you're getting paid a flat fee, nobody cares who it is. We just want to make sure we hire the best. And that eliminates right. a lot of that. So, um, yeah.
1: I think it's a it's it's a smart move. And it's just one of those things that needs to be discussed up front, you know, and agreed uh, with the clients so that everyone's comfortable with what the, what the plan is. So, Jennifer, were you pitching against any other firms to get this project or how do you think you won the deal when you're still a very boutique firm uh, and, you know, they may have been talking to, you know, bigger search firms?
0: Yes, they did talk to a couple other search firms, and um, I think just because um, we really connected with the HR team, mm-hmm. um, I think they decided to go with us. Um, mm-hmm. There are times when we have lost out, and even though I tell them just what I told you, like we lost out on a major project. Well, it wasn't major. It was, it was about 20 reps. And I honestly thought they were going to go with us because we hired all of their commercial people, their marketing people. We were really in embedded into the company and um, felt like we did a great job. They really liked us. The VP of marketing liked us, but she let the HR VP decide. And they were new to the company, and he wanted somebody with more more people. So he went with a recruiting agency that had sixty. And then I I kind of looked at their backgrounds um, afterwards just because I knew who they went with, and some of them had not been recruiters for more than six months. You know, right. and so oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So you know what I, I I hope they're successful, but you know there are companies that will not go with us because we are so small.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean that's always going to be a challenge when you're one of the the little guys and you're you're competing against the big guys. But on the other hand, you know, the, the, and if, you know, you can do your best with the, with the sales presentation, and ultimately you can't control whether they right. go for it or not. Yeah. Right. But um, I just feel a, as you pointed out the backgrounds, how many of these other firms are getting someone who has actually been a rep, a manager in pharma. And number two, um, if it's such a big firm, how, important is this project to their overall, you know, business, right? Like what proportion of their revenue does this project represent? Whereas with you guys, it would be a significant, you know, project and therefore it's going to get your absolute top attention, right? Right.
0: And Mark, what we told them right off the bat is we said, you know, if anything else comes, because this is like a retainer, basically they paid us a third up front, A third Mm -hmm. when we got, you know, halfway through the process and a third when everybody was hired. And by the way, we had a 99% um, acceptance rate out of those 109 people. So we were in constant communication and a lot of people Mm -hmm. can't say that. Um, We did an exceptional job with that. And uh, we told them we were going to, if anybody called, I had other recruiters within MRI that I could reach out to, to take on those projects. Because let's face it, I I couldn't take on another thing. I had to do, and that's why we did it well. It was, everything was the same. They were all yeah. the same specs or job descriptions, the same interview process. So yes. it was all the same. And even the people that were referred, they went through the same process. So it wasn't like you got a shorter you know, um, interview process. Everybody did the same exact process.
1: Got it. I love it. That's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. You're, yeah. Um, it sounds, it sounds, although it was a lot of work, it sounds really rewarding and, and fun in, in many ways. Um, and especially, I think what sounds appealing about that is how close a, a relationship you had with the client, both the hiring manager and the HR, because that is often not the case. And that's, The frustrating thing for recruiters is when you that is lacking and you're not getting the communication, not getting the buy in and you're treated more as a vendor rather than a partner. And, you know, the whole process is is more difficult when that's um, when that communication, that relationship isn't there. Um, So I think that sounds brilliant.
0: Thank you. Yeah, it really was. It was a lot of fun, a lot of work. And a lot, like you said, a lot of learnings that made us even better recruiters as we move through the, you know, now I feel like we encourage that in everything we do, just like you said, it's like not just HR, but let's do an intake call with the hiring manager. Let's make sure everybody's on the same page, you know, whether it's a senior director of marketing or whether it's a sales leader, you know, it's just so helpful to do that because, like you said, it makes the recruiting process much more seamless and, and uh, mm-hmm. successful.
1: Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading and listening to business books, watching TED Talks. But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999-2000 when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I loved recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent predictable billings. If you'd like to know more you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. Can I ask you, Jennifer, what I want all the stakeholders on that intake call, or at least to have an opportunity to speak to them, even if it's not everyone on the same call. And sometimes you get pushback from HR or from internal recruitment. They want to control the process and they want all the communication to be with them. How have you been able to overcome that objection in your business?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. What I do, Mark, is I let them know that I'm not trying to skirt them or go around them. But basically, if we all talk together and include them, then it'll make me do a better job for them. And knowing their little things that they're looking for that might not be on this piece of paper or from you communicating with them, they might give us a little bit of information about their personality or it was funny, we we just had a, a, a big pharma company and we talked to the VP and with HR, and she saw some pictures that my partner Nicole had on her, on her, you know, back in her office, and uh, mm-hmm. they were designer some pictures of art that were um, fashion pictures, and she wanted us to see. So she takes us through her house with her computer to show us the pictures of the art that was very similar to Nicole's on her wall. So it was, it was uh, really cute because it was all about fashion that was like in the 1950s, you know. So, you know, um, so you get to know somebody's personality a little bit with that. So we've got to walk yes. through her house, you know, to see the, the artwork and just to get to know them a little bit more. You know that working for this person, you're going to have a lot of fun. You just know it. She's just going to be a fun I mean, very business-like, but very fun as well.
1: Awesome. It sounds, I mean, I guess the, the flip side of that is, are, do you ever walk away from business and what would be, you know, your criteria for deciding whether to work with a client or not?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think when the fees get, when they start trying to nickel and dime the fees and bring them down mm-hmm. to an area, I feel like they don't value us. Like they don't really yeah. understand us. I, I I don't. Even though the times are a little tougher now, I feel like that if you go too far down on your fees, there's no value. They don't value you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I would say walk away totally. from business like that. Um, not often, yeah. but I do.
1: Yeah. Great. I I agree a hundred percent. So switching gears, Jennifer, you I saw in your email signature you have a really cool animated explainer video. Oh, yeah. And I'm intrigued to know more about your tailored AI tool that learns from the client's hiring process to refine the candidate identification. And that's such a great differentiator. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? I
0: absolutely can. First off, Mark, as you know, I'm kind of been around for 22 years. So this is not my idea, but it was, I had my son join us about three years ago and he is all about artificial inte- intelligence, high tech stuff. And so yeah. like that little video you saw, that was created because he got involved. And and it's it's a great it's a great tool. People always want to know about it. But we hired a company called Loxo. So oh, it's, yeah. instead of, of have you heard of them? Yeah. Okay. So instead of PCR, which we've had forever I kind of look at them as um, Apple versus other computers. You know how Apple is so easy to work. Loxo is so easy to work. And they do have artificial intelligence. And, you know, by certain words, they're able to, you know, find these people. And one of our first placements um, with Loxo was for a very niched role that we would have never found on our own. So um, wow. I highly recommend recruiters look into LOXO as a, um, a database because they do have that as part of um, their process and it's amazing.
1: All right. Okay. Now that makes sense then. So it's, uh, it's software that you have invested in. It's not something you've developed just for Cascadia Group. That's
0: Correct. It was something okay. we purchased, and it is where our resumes are put. Yeah. So it's kind of like a PCR or um, yeah. a database. Bullhorn or... Yeah, a yeah. database with an artificial intelligence attached to it.
1: Got it. All right. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Well, you did a good job then in the... Or your son, if he's responsible for the animated video, of... Because it sounds really intriguing, right? Like, wow, they use AI as part of their, um, you know, candidate uh, search process. And it learns from the client's hiring, um, you know, history and that sort of thing. So, that's that was well done. Um, but we Jen, do use things
0: ahead. like, Mark, when we're on an intake call, for example, and somebody says, mm-hmm. I need a market researcher that does demand studies. Then, boom, okay. we can stick those you know, those key words in there and we're yeah. going to get people that are, you know, very successful in that spot. Do you know what I'm saying? It, yeah. it definitely does that.
1: It does, does work. Okay. That's interesting. Um One thing I was impressed w- with when I read your career history is how consistent you've been. Like if you were a pace 18 out of 20 years with MRI, that's, unusual because most of us have good years and less good years. Um, And I'm assuming that, and I also know that planning is something you're big on. Could you tell me a bit about your planning process?
0: Yes. I personally believe that this job is not a nine to five job, especially when you're a brand new recruiter. I feel like you have to plan, 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 and then you have to make calls, calls, calls. Now, I realize newer people are out there and they feel like emails and text messages work, but I still feel like the foundation is making those phone calls. And at the end of the day, when you feel like, oh, my gosh, I am done, make five more. (laughs) I just think it works. And always that last call of the day is always the best call. And I can't encourage that enough is to, you know, plan, um, be consistent, ask for referrals. Um, I think one of the things I learned from Pinnacle was um, from someone that is super successful and he kept track of people that he's placed over the years And then what he does is he reaches out to them to see how they're doing. And how many of us don't follow up with people that Mm. we've placed? And so that's an opportunity to get jobs. So um, I started doing that. I took, you know, people that I hired 10 years ago and reached out to them. And I did get some business from that, but it was also super fun to catch up with them,
1: you know? Yes, brilliant idea. Absolutely. So, um, by the way, I'm with you on the importance of the good old telephone. I don't think it's an either or like you get these two camps, you get the people who are saying, no, it's telephone is, you know, it's old school. It's still, that's what it's all about. And then you get the other camp who are saying, no, you know, these days you can't get through on the phone. It's email. It's, you know, it's, uh, online marketing and, and stuff like that, uh, content marketing. And I think, well, it's, come on guys, surely it's a mixture of both would be the ideal, right? Why not have the best of of both worlds and do all of the above? I agree Um, with you,
0: Mark. I really do believe it's the power of both and having a team that is so different. Like my partner, Nicole is, you know, a few years younger, but we're kind of from the camp of call, call, call. And then we have some younger people on our group that really like more of the, um, the, you know, the emails, the text messages. And I think it's a combination. And And I think they believe it too. I mean, they yeah. definitely believe that they pick up on the call and they're going to get referrals. They're not going to get referrals by sending an email saying, who do you know?
1: Exactly. You know, exactly. Um,
0: people yeah. don't like to do that because they're afraid of the consequences, you know. But if you talk to them and you say, hey, I'm not going to share this with anybody, they're more apt to give you that.
1: A hundred percent. Yes. You, so hard to get referrals from a LinkedIn message or a text message. You're, you need to talk to people and build rapport and then they open up. Um, so coming back to planning then, could you, you said plan, 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 but what that does that actually, actually look like. like?
0: Yeah. What I try to do is when <laughs> I, I do more of the business development for the team. So I try to have about 30 companies that I'm targeting at all times. And some of them will drop off because there comes a time when you've left eight to 10 messages with somebody that, you know, maybe it's just not going to happen. Or you finally do get a hold of somebody and they say, we've hired somebody um, and we're, they're going to do all of our business, you know. So obviously you're you're hitting your head against the wall if you continue to call them. So I have a list of 30 I have on that list, I want to talk to the chief financial officer, um, the VP of HR or the VP of marketing or the chief commercial officer. So I want to have about four or five names and I want to make sure that I reach out to at least three of them. So that's kind of what I do. If I know somebody within the company, I definitely would prefer to call them, you know, and see who I should reach out to. So um, I start with phone calls, emails, um, and I don't text people. I, I think this is really important. Don't text people that you don't know because mm-hmm. it, it, I think that's bothersome to them unless they've um, responded to your message and then you feel like you can. they know who you are. I think that's important. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. So you've got, let's say, 30 target companies at any one time, and maybe four people in each company, four or five people. So we're talking 120 to 150 contacts that you're that you're actively working. Correct. Um, and so, how will you set yourself up to try and be as productive as possible?
0: Um, well, what I try to do is before noon to have made like 20 phone calls before noon, and then Great. you got to take a break, stretch, go for a walk. You know clear the cobwebs, and then the afternoon I try to do another 20. And then I plan for the next day, what what am I going to do? And then I send out emails too to follow up to the calls. I say, hey, Mark, I left you a a voicemail and a little bit of information on that. Um, So I do do that. I recently went through an email writing class um, with uh, Hennem uh, Pryor. I don't know if you've heard of her, Hannah.
1: H. um, Yeah. Go ahead. Anyway,
0: she was amazing. Um, There were about 10 pinnacle people that went through it. Um, And I really believe in education and continuing to get better at what we do. And I think the big, um, uh, what came out of that was that I was doing everything wrong. Like I put on the subject line, important, I put in there, I'm an executive recruiter with X number of years of experience. And she's like, wrong, wrong, wrong. And uh, basically she said, people don't want to hear about you. They want to hear about themselves. So now what I do is I say, you know, something like um, three major mistakes people make in an interview. And then that's my, that's my subject line. And then I go into kind of some of the things that people make a mistake about, um, you know, in the interview, you know, in the interview process, you know, bullet points. And then I let them know that, hey, um, you know, give me a call and and uh, we can touch base about your commercial recruiting needs. Huh.
1: Interesting. And it has
0: improved. Well, the thing that it, it's taught me is that People want to hear about themselves. So what can you do for them? So you're giving them something and they may or may not. And and I also say that I just need five minutes of their time because people's time. Everybody's on a Zoom call these days, right? Yeah. So if they're going to talk to a recruiter, they think, oh, gosh, that's going to be 30 minutes. So just make it softer, five minutes of your time and, um, you know, provide your calendar so that they can just make a quick, you know introduction
1: or email to do, you. Do you know what I've started doing? And I, I got this tip from uh, one of my coaching clients is instead of asking for five minutes or 10 minutes, ask for eight minutes. Oh, that's and see interesting. see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Just something about, it's so specific that, um, you know, Where's this, if you say five, everyone uses five minutes as shorthand for however long it turns out to be, right? Yeah. Um,
0: no, that's
1: a great idea. The other thing that uh, we're doing is doing a little bit more research to be able to personalize those emails. So the first sentence in a cold email should be about the person themselves. As you said, people are interested in themselves rather than hearing all about your career history. And so we wanna find something either from their LinkedIn profile or from their company website that we can comment on that's like good news like, i really enjoyed your recent LinkedIn post about ABC and then use that and in lead into the rest of the email from there. Or, you know, I see that you recently got promoted to, you know, VP of sales, congratulations, or just saying something personal about them that shows that this isn't just a mass email, but you've actually, you are reaching out to them specifically. Um, you know what, Mark? So it and, takes, and that's yeah. one of
0: the things uh, Hannah said in her presentation with us. Like, her workshop went for seven days and it really talked about, you know, doing exactly what you said is put something personal yeah. about them in there. And that's another mm-hmm. reason why, you know, when you're taking notes from talking to somebody, if they say, Hey, I'm going to be looking in six months, then you can, you know, add that, Hey, when I talked to you in June, you said you would. Yes. Yeah. So really good point. And, and you can get that on, LinkedIn, do you know there's 300 million people that use LinkedIn? So there's a lot of people there. There's a lot of information out there. And uh, so it's really important to utilize that.
1: Agreed. Agreed. Um, Jennifer, I'm interested in hearing your experience of the downturn in 8 I know that was a difficult period for a lot of us. What, well, let's start with that. Like you've been in business for a while, so you've seen the highs and lows, but how did the the last recession affect you guys? It was,
0: it was horrific. Um, We, um, I remember my husband saying, oh my gosh, we could lose the house. I want to try to keep the employees on. We had a, a group of like 12 people. It was really scary. I mean, I, I would go to the grocery store and, and I'd have bags and he'd go, what did, what did you buy? You know, like, it, you know, I mean, it was yeah. really bad. And we had a big nut because we had salaries. We had a big house payment. And um, so I think we made $160,000 that year. And uh, 77, I think, percent of the recruiters went out of business that year. Am I right on that, Mark?
1: I haven't heard that figure, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. It was a. Yeah, so,
0: was a, where did I get those placements and what did I do? Well, I always believe in being in a niche. Like, I feel like yes. our niche is, I know people in that niche. Well, it didn't, nobody really cared about my niche at that point. So, if somebody called me with some random doctor, you know, I need an MD and regulatory affairs or something really difficult to fill, we took it. I took everything. I took anything and everything and I wasn't picky. I just said, I'm going to find these people and that's what we did. But believe me, I don't ever want to go through that. Um, I've talked to people um, that are so bubbly about, you know, they've been in the business since maybe 2010 and they have never seen anything mm-hmm. like this. So I'm like, oh, yeah. but it can happen. And so some of the recruiters that have been around have, I think there was one prior to 2008 too, that was devastating. Yeah. So anyway, it, you just have to be prepared for it because we're, we're going to have them, right? I mean, they happen. I just hope it's not so severe.
1: Well, I, I was wondering what... How did your experience in the last recession either help you or shape how you've dealt with the pandemic and kind of everything that's been going on this year, 2020?
0: The pandemic hasn't impacted us as badly as some industries because we're in pharma. And so what they did is I thought it would, but they said, hey, we Mm -hmm. can do these Zoom calls. So a lot of the key Mm -hmm. roles got filled. Um, mm-hmm. By July, we were about $100,000 off of our goal for the year. However, mm-hmm. then August came and it really slowed down for us. I mean, mm-hmm. some are picking up and we really slowed down. And we had a couple offers that um, weren't accepted and they were significant offers. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like I need to do a better job of really qualifying the candidates but it's super hard when they want to interview with other companies at the same time. There's nothing okay. I can do about that. And some of the opportunities might be a little bit better than the opportunities I have. We had a candidate that was able to build out a whole team. Well, the uh, opportunity we had was not that, you know, mm-hmm. it was an existing team. So things like that, you, you, you can't handle, but you have to have backups. And I told my team, we didn't have the backup that they now we're back, you know, doing the research to get that, you know, backfill. So, we had a couple of those at the end of the year and and those are never had. They're they're never good. And one took a counteroffer. Uh, yeah, yeah. I haven't had a counteroffer taken in a long time. I used to pride myself on that and somebody took a counteroffer and I didn't see it coming.
1: Yeah, it's uh it that hurts when that happens. Yeah. Um so in terms of your mental toughness then Jennifer, like during the last recession you said it was horrible and you're real like super super stressful. What um where did you find the kind of will to kind of continue and and um do whatever you needed to do to get through that? That period.
0: Um, It's a yeah, it's that was a tough one, Mark, because Mm. um, I I didn't feel like I was tough enough, but I I just I just kept making calls. And I I realized that I was going to have bad days and it's okay to have bad days. Like, don't beat Mm. yourself up if you don't want to get on the Mm. phone. I mean, even now, you know, with the pandemic, people are starting to lose it a little bit because nobody took vacations. You know, and yeah. now I find that people are talking to me and they go, I just got to get out of here. I, I got to go somewhere. I got to at least take another week off. I, I haven't I haven't taken any time off and the work just seems to keep coming. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like people aren't taking care of themselves because you can work all the time. You know what I mean? So I guess the best thing I can say is that what I try to do is make really block off a time on my calendar To take the dog for a walk, you know, make sure that I'm doing that because it does clear your mind. Don't. At one point, I got to a point where, hey, I'm going to eat lunch right here and I'm going to find companies to call or, you know, and that's not a good idea. You start doing things poorly, I guess.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, taking your lunch break, walking the dog, any other things that you do to take care of yourself to make sure that you've your uh, emotional bank account is is full and you're in a resourceful frame of mind.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely. Um, we got I got a Peloton when this happened, and and I never thought it was going to be so helpful. But riding the bike, you know, making making sure that I do that three days a week, and. Uh, mm-hmm you know, trying to make cooking more fun, you know, because, you know, maybe buy a fun cookbook or read some good novels. Um, I, I think I'm Netflix Netflixed out. I mean, I've bought <laughs> so much of it. I'm just like, I got to stop doing that. Um, but, you know, it's just an it's I hope that it, it ends soon, I guess. I think everybody needs it to end. But um, I think exercise is probably the most important thing to do.
1: Yes, absolutely. agree 100%. So what does the future hold for Cascadia search group then? Like what what are your plans for the business and uh, your vision for the future?
0: Great question. I um, really want to continue to work for a while. I have my youngest son is uh, a PhD student at uh, British Columbia at University of BC. Okay. And he's getting his degree in immunology. So I'm very motivated to continue to work because I want to try to help him. And then my oldest son is going to take over the business. So, um, yeah. So he's been with me for three years. So I feel like uh, that transition will happen eventually. But I love what I do, Mark. It's been a very, like you said, very rewarding, Um, I think, Um, One of the things that being part of Pinnacle, I'm around people that um, have been very successful over the years. People love to share. People want other people to be successful. And I really wanted to do this podcast with you today because if I could just give some words of wisdom to somebody to help them, I would love to be able to do that because I feel like now it's time for me to give back. And if anything I can do to help others to be successful, I really want to do that.
1: Well, that's awesome. I agree a hundred percent. And, uh, you know, helping each other and learning from each other as well is, is important. And you have definitely done that. Uh, I'm certain the people listening will have, um, really appreciated your words of wisdom and, and, um, encouragement. So thank you so much, Jennifer. I I really enjoyed it. I
0: enjoyed it too. Thank you so much, Mark.
1: Thank you for listening. Just before you go, let me ask you one question. Who in your network would make a great guest on the Resilient Recruiter podcast? I'm always on the lookout for interesting people to interview. Recruitment entrepreneurs who embody the ethos of the resilient recruiter. If you're a regular listener, you'll know the kind of person I'm looking for. Ordinary men and women who've achieved extraordinary things. Specifically, I'm looking for someone with a great story to tell. Someone who's overcome adversity in pursuit of their goals and who's open to sharing their own mistakes and learning experiences with our listeners. In the words of previous guests, John Coxon and Alex Elliott, I'm looking for someone with humble confidence. They could be a top producing solo or independent recruiter or the owner of a fast growing firm. Maybe that person is you or maybe it's someone you know. Send me your recommendations, mark at recruitmentcoach.com or feel free to nominate yourself. And if you think you meet the criteria I've just outlined, I'd love to hear from you. Like Once again, it's mark at recruitmentcoach.com. Remember to hit subscribe and I'll see you next time.